0: And we're joined now by our vet, Dr. David Tabret, and also Denny Boz is with us. Good afternoon to both of you gentlemen. How are we? Good afternoon, Dave. Great, David. Feeling good. Nice to we're have you good. here. David, how's your week been? Oh, it's been pretty good. Been pretty I've, good. Yeah. yeah. you happy? Running around. That's good. Doing things. Busy. What about you, Denny?
1: Oh, it's been great. Thank you, David. And uh, just wanted to mention, we'll be talking about Staffordshire bull terriers today. Okay, okay great, great dog. The smiley mm. dogs. I yes, like them. Very the popular breed. Because they've got a popular.
0: smile on their face. They're always yeah, really smiling. They are. they are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more more gel than mouth. Not really a technical know. way I look at it, is it? Just I
2: think, it you're, I think you're spot on, Dave. You're starting to pick up the lingo. And what about a topic from you today? What have you got in mind? I, look, I love a good acronym as much as the next person, so we're going to talk about
0: HBCs and BDLDs. Denny, a special guest with us on the line this afternoon.
1: Yes, David. What we've got is we're interviewing Kerry Reader, now, she's a breed of Staffordshire Bull Terriers, and she's also the, the president of the Staffordshire Bull Terrier Society of New South Wales, Inc. So, thank you very much for joining us on air today. Love Carrie. the smiley dogs. The smiley. Yeah, smiley dogs.
3: Hi, Benny. How
1: are you? Hi. Look, um, they are such a popular breed. They're very common. Lots of people have them. So, I thought, why not talk to you about Staffies? How long okay. have you um, been with the breed or breeding the breed and showing the breed for?
3: Look, our family started in 1967 when there was a rare breed in Australia. Wow. Okay. And so it's gone through the generation, our family generations, about uh, three generations now.
1: How many Staffies would have been in the 60s in Australia?
3: Most of them. The first lot came into Queensland on the boats, as you can imagine, with um, the seamen. Yes. Um, But mainly, um, at that particular time in the sixties, I think our Stafford, our Stafford shows, we were running at the time in nineteen. The first one I went to was in nineteen sixty-seven. There was about um, twelve Staffords there.
1: Twelve.
0: Wow. All right. Did they hit their peak in popularity yet?
3: Uh, I'm not sure I can remember as a, a child um, All the people that were looking after the breed at that time Saying that they're such an all-purpose dog That everybody with such a great temperament That it won't matter what you do Everyone will want to own one And that's what's happened
1: <laughs> For the people who don't know What uh, what do they look like?
3: Look, they're a medium-sized dog With a short, close coat And that's how it should be, short and close So that's why they're so popular as well So they're easy to look after Yes, um, They're about 36 to 41 centimetres tall Or they should be And they weigh between 13 and 17 kilos, which is 28 to 38 pounds to to us oldies.
4: Um,
3: They they have a round eye. They should have a round eye. Nice rose ear, which I'm not sure that everyone would know what that is, but it's sort of like it's bent in a rose. And they should have what they call a pump handle tail, which looks like an old-fashioned pump handle that you used to pump the water with.
1: Okay.
3: (laughs) And they come in all colours. Except the, uh, for confirmation purposes, if you're going to show them, black and tan and is not allowed.
1: Oh, I see. Now, Kerry, what about in terms of where did the breed originate and and what it was bred to do?
3: Okay. Well. If I start talking the whole history, I'll be here all day, so I'll keep it short for you. Sure. Um, It started in the 1800s, and it was a fine blend between the old-fashioned bulldog, which is not like the one of today. It's like he was quite tall, about 18 inches, and the old English terrier. And they were actually originally bred to bull and bear bait, but, of course, that was outlawed, and mainly they became friends of the chain makers and miners in the black country of England.
1: I see. They were very family-orientated dogs, weren't they?
3: Yeah, they were. I mean, even though they would go off with um, all the miners, they were very much a part of everybody's family in England that owned them. What they were like one of the kids.
1: Yes. Are there any common uh, health problems with the breed?
3: I think the most common one, which is often in lots of breeds, but at the moment we've noticed that um, skin irritations are mainly the major problems people have. Mm-hmm. And I think that our recommendation from our breed club is always to make sure that you check their diet first as opposed to anything else, because often they can have allergies to wheat and all that sort of um, problems. But that's a general thing, I think. We don't, really, we don't really have many health problems at all.
0: How many usually in a litter, Kerry?
3: Oh... Um, I think the biggest litter I've heard of was 12, and I think the smallest was one. So an average litter can be, be between four and six, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. With with the, the breed and keeping it and maintaining it, what kind of families would be best suited for a Staffy?
3: Okay, well, a Stafford loves, loves to be with people. doesn't matter whatever, they just want to be with people. So we recommend that people that own them have a family and have a yard. If you don't have a yard and you just want them as your own pet, they do... They are considered one of the most all-purpose breeds that you can buy. But if you um, live in a flat, which often people in the city do and keep Stafford's, they have to walk them at least twice a day. And just be careful that if you do leave him out in the backyard too long, he'll take the washing off the line for you and dig the garden for you, but he thinks he's just helping you
1: out. (laughs) Are they easy to train, uh, Kerry?
3: Yes, you have to make sure though that they know you're the boss, but I think that's with any breed. It is. And, yes. and, um, but all they want to do is please you, and so as long as you keep them under control and make sure they know you're the boss, they are easy to train.
1: What about if people want some more information on the breed? Where can they go?
3: Okay, well, the Staffordshire Bull Society has got a website, which is mm-hmm. au, or well, we do have a Facebook page which has all our events that are coming up It's. some... Um Um, Facebook and then it's Staffordshire Bull Terrier Society of New South Wales, Inc. If they join as a friend, they can find out what we're up to. And of course, um, in September, we've got our big day out happening down in um, Sydney at the Richmond TAFE, where people can come along, bring their Stafford's along to be seen and talk about how to look after them, how to train them and run in competitions with the waggiest tail and the happiest face and lots of prizes and lots of games with the
1: people and the dogs. When is that held in September? Uh, The 15th. 15th. Okay, we'll have to make a mention around that time. We might try and get you back
0: and talk to you as a bit of promotion for that, see if we can get some people from Newcastle and the Hunter Valley to come down that way.
1: Yeah, that'd that'd be be... be great. Now, one one other question I have for you, uh, Kerry. Have you had any special or, or funny moment that you can share with us that's happened with your dog?
3: Look there's been lots and lots of fun moments with Staffords um, that I 've had being in the breed for so long, but there is a very funny one that I 've had that I never forget and tell people about is I um, moved into a house with one Stafford an older Stafford a few years ago, and um, surprise to me, she left the house and went out, and I got a phone call from my dad saying, "Your dogs run away." and oh. I said, "What?" So I thought, what will I do? Oh no, I'll go up to the school because Stafford, when they, if they ever disappear, go and look at the local school because they always go looking for the kids.
1: Okay.
3: So, so off I go to the school, no, 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 nothing, can't find her thinking, oh this is really bad. So ring the local vet and the local vet said, yes, we've only had her here 10 minutes, you can come and get her. I described her to them, whatever. And then I said, how did she get here? And they said, oh she walked up to, with the people to the station at Richmond and got on the train, but we took her off at Clarendon, the train master did and brought her over to the vet. <laughs> (laughs) just shows you that they just like being with people
1: had a train ride she went for a train ride
3: my sister says to me, because where they got her off was at Clarendon, my sister goes she was going to the pub (laughs) that's (laughs)
0: good, she's gone on an adventure (laughs) that's
1: that's
3: right
1: (laughs) well thank you very much for your time, that was great and a wealth of information, such a lovely breed too.
3: Okay, thank you Danny thank you everyone.
1: And we'll look
0: forward to touching base we will do that, put that in your diary to touch base with Kerry when we get closer to that date for that big event they have in Sydney the annual event 26 past 12 yes we take your calls 49216216 we'd love to hear from you and David uh, joins us right now hello David how are you this afternoon I'm very well indeed thank, thank you for waiting so patiently our okay. vet David Tabrit is listening to you now good hi Dave
5: David a few weeks ago I had a little rainbow lorikeet uh, I out at my farm and it just came and landed on my shoulder Yep. And we we tried to find the owner. We went for all the vets and all sorts of things. We had no no luck in finding the owner. So we've now inherited a little rainbow lorikeet, and everything's fine. We've got him well looked after and feeding and all that. I'm just wondering how, when you've got them in the cage, how do they cope with temperatures? If you put them out on the front porch, if it's in the sun or if it's a cold day, are they very susceptible to things like that? Uh,
2: Lorikeets are in. An- interesting breed in terms of temperature because we think of their activity and their sort of tropical nature certainly the colors lend to that but they actually do populate the uh the the cooler climates they're a subtropical species i think i mean obviously closer on the coast um but with plenty of foliage so what i tend to see with these guys is they they cope reasonably well with the cooler weather um if my memory serves me i think they actually tend to breed uh, more in the winter period. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they probably cope pretty well. Any times you that you might get, say, a great shift in temperature yep. uh, from inside to outside, that's probably going to be a bit of a concern. Okay. And if they're used to being inside all the time in a nice warm environment, they may, um, you know, have uh, less ability to tolerate sudden shifts in temperature. Okay. So probably if they're inside, then I'd say, well, put them out once the sort of Days done a bit of warming up. You okay, yeah. Sort of nine o'clock ish, rather than. Um, but one of the areas they like to be is like if they're in a cage inside, is just yep. move them into like a sunroom or somewhere where there's some large windows where they'll yep. get warming yeah, without the cool breeze. breeze inside the yeah. and,
5: and what, what because we're at a farm, we've got a closed uh, um, a combustion uh, fireplace. Uh, um, does, uh, are there any fumes or anything we should be worrying about with him?
2: Is it a fluid... Fireplace, yes yeah if it's fluid, it should be okay, I think any time that you have um, you know birds are going to be more susceptible to fumes, certainly um, carbon monoxide poisoning occurs with unfluid uh, fire heaters in um, small spaces, and you know if you read the manufacturer's directions and so on they'll always say make sure that there's a, a window open right so that there can be drawn fresh air into the room oh okay. Um, and about uh, an open window as well, slightly open window. Yes, and I think that's. I know that uh, when I had a small place, I was living in Cooks Hill, and we had an unfluid heater, and that was one of the th- recommendations because if you actually get someone in to test the levels of um, carbon monoxide and so on, which is an odourless and colourless gas, yep. uh, that uh, they can get quite high and um, that's obviously one of the areas of concern. The reason birds are more susceptible is, first of all, their metabolic rate's a lot higher, uh, so they're generally processing things a lot quicker, and also their respiratory system is um, basically the air travels down into their lungs and then into the air sacs and in the abdomen and then back through the lungs. So there's like a double pass effect, and so any toxins would have too lots of exposure to their lungs okay. compared to our cells where it's in and out. Right. So um, make sure that uh, anything whether it's um, say pans on the fireplace, uh, uh, you know on the stovetop, yep. like particularly Teflon coated pans actually oh, okay. can be quite toxic. Right. Um, and obviously if um, we see it less these days, but I have seen birds that have been harmed by tobacco smoke inside. Oh, that won't happen to them. Yeah, but uh, certainly if it's a fluid fireplace, then it should be okay. But probably just having a, a small window
0: open somewhere to allow fresh air in would be fine. So, And we're joined now from Kay's Beach by Faye. Hello, Faye. Thanks for waiting patiently. How are you today? Hello. Oh, hi. hi. How are you going?
6: Um, well, I'm a bit concerned about my little foxy.
0: Yes,
2: what's going on?
6: Well, I don't know. In the last day or so, he seems to have put his head to the side and lost direction. Oh, if I can okay. put it to you like that.
2: Sure. Um, now, is it which side is it?
6: Um, to the left. He's so he's left.
2: Are you meaning his his head is tilted down on that side?
6: Yes, he he sort of walks where they have their head up. He, he's sort of gone a bit to the side, and I just look. He's functioning right. He goes, you know, out to the toilet. That's not a problem. He hasn't lost control of himself but it's just like he's lost his directions. if okay. i can put it to you
2: that way i think you're absolutely spot on there uh-huh. um so what happened is that uh he's getting um an alteration in his balance organ which is in his ears okay right. now deep inside the bone there's these three canals that are in uh, right angles to each other and they've got a fluid in them and little crystals and as you move your head Uh, you can end up, that's how you tell which way you're moving and so on. But for some reason, one one of them is not functioning properly and so his body says, hang on, you've got to turn this way uh, because he's getting the wrong input. Now, this can happen for a number of reasons. So you can have, uh, ear disease would be the most common thing. Mm -hmm. So you could have some inner ear infection or inner ear disease. Right. And uh, you'll... Either way, with this, you're going to have to get him checked out at the vet because they yeah, can be it's very just serious. That
6: he's got these two cataracts too, but I mean, I don't want to go to the vet and sort of him say, "Look, he's got that," and they're five and a half thousand dollars. So, but no, well, he runs you... his way around perfectly well; he doesn't go yeah. out to the street or anything.
2: No, well, this is a new finding, so I would say, you know, something like an ear infection would need to be checked out. Uh, That would be one thing. The other thing we do see sometimes is they can get fluid in the middle ear, which can also cause these sort of symptoms. All right. Uh, You can also get, you know, tumours could be there Mm -hmm. as well. We also see then, this is what we call peripheral vestibular disease, but sometimes we'll get what's called central. Now, the signal that comes from the ears goes to a part of the brain and sometimes there'll be a dysfunction there. So there's a difference between central and peripheral. Um, and your vet will be able to work out what is the most likely cause and prescribe an appropriate treatment. Now, some of the conditions um, are quite easy to treat. Some of them are a little bit more difficult. So it is certainly worth getting checked out because if it's, for instance, um, an ear infection or uh, extended from the ear, then it's something that needs to be treated because it will be painful as well. All right. Okay, mm-hmm. but I would certainly get it checked out. Now, the other thing about this is that sometimes it'll go away on its own.
6: Well, this is what I've noticed. Like today, he's been up and around and going quite, you know, nearly okay. But yes. then he'll get up, and then you'll think, oh. And he's eating perfectly well.
2: Yes. Oh, well, that's good.
6: Uh, that's he's good. Along because, as I said, got these cataracts, and he eats. Per- you know, that's not a problem with him.
2: Yes, If what happens is that the brain starts to interpret the signal that's coming in, it's obviously abnormal one side compared to the other, and the brain starts to say, hang on a sec, that doesn't make sense, we're going to reset things, and so it starts to discount the abnormal uh, sensation that's coming in, and try, and so it gradually self-corrects. But that doesn't mean that the problem hasn't, you know, that it's gone away. Uh, so it's that's why I'm saying that you need to get it checked out. Even if you think that he's starting to improve, I would get it checked out because um, they can come and go, and uh, there is one other condition just to mention, which is called a geriatric vestibular syndrome, which means uh, we do see this in older patients, and it usually is uh, self resolves over 2 weeks and there's no treatment necessary and even for your own peace of mind i think it's worth getting that checked out. So that,
0: not bad for an 11 year old dog too so he's getting yeah, on in age. Yeah,
2: that's when it that's why i mentioned the geriatric
0: condition yeah, because yeah. It, we see it in that cage group obviously. Radio. Right, yeah. Thank you for your call Fay 49216216 if you'd like to be part of Pet Chat we'd love to hear from you. 21 to 1 and your topic today David. Oh look as i said i love a good acronym. And uh, as
2: vets, we do throw things... HBCs and BDLDs. And what we're talking about is conditions, that, trauma conditions in dogs. HBCs is our hit-by-car. Okay, and usually, cars versus dog, dog What's comes the- off second best. Yeah. Cat's even worse. The interesting thing, Dave, is that uh, recently or a couple of years ago, there's a study done which looked at the incidence of chest injuries in dogs that have been hit by cars. So even if they have no symptoms of chest problems, around about 70% will have some degree of chest injury. One of the reasons why we now look at doing x-rays on these guys because we don't want to have something turn into a problem, you know, 12, 24 hours down the track. Uh, Bruising in the lungs is our biggest worry there, and that can develop sort of 6 to 12 hours after an injury. So even if your dog looks okay, uh, you know, you think, oh, minor bump, car was only doing, you know, (laughs) 60Ks or something. Um, then you need to get them checked out because of these risks. The biggest... Uh, the other one we see is a Robo. You know what that one is?
0: Uh, robo, no. No.
2: Movie. Run over no, by... No, no. Ro- uh, close. Roll over by owner. Oh, okay. Robo, oh, yeah. Okay. So usually it's an older dog in the backyard... or sorry, in the front yard lying under the car and because yeah. they don't... You know, they're older because they don't hear the car start up. They don't get out of the way as quick, mm. maybe a bit of arthritis and someone drives over them, uh. and that's pretty nasty, obviously. Um, it's a slow speed, but obviously a lot of pressure, because they're often on concrete, for instance, and they can get things like soft tissue organs in the uh, belly. So again, even if they don't have big abrasions, they don't have a lot of external injuries, they could have internal injuries. And we see this as well with our BDLD, big dog, little dog interaction. Not a very good outcome a lot of the time because, again, you get these puncture wounds, which you think, oh, there's just a small mark in the skin, but actually underneath all of that, there can be quite severe damage to the underlying tissue. And I've seen dogs with punctured lungs and dogs with kidneys uh, torn off their their blood vessel roots and so on. And uh, so we have to go looking for these extra problems that crop up. So, yeah, Robo's, BDLDs and HBCs. Nasty sets of letters. Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, now we've got another caller on the line. We're saying hello to Robert from Walls Inn. Hello, Robert, how are you doing?
5: Fine, Dave. All the best to everyone of the two you are, and also the vets.
0: Oh, thanks, Robert. Hi, it's David. What can we do for you?
5: It's only a question. I don't want to take our valuable time. We've got Rex, and he's off to see the vet when we get, because he's getting that skin allergy. He's a, sorry, miniature foxy. Right. Round the eyes. My concern is, obviously, it'll be a cortisone injection. Will that have an Addison's disease type... Response on him because he's not very old.
2: Okay, well, so we. They got
5: him about three or four years ago and spoke to you about it, and I had to be top dog.
2: Uh, <laughs> how's that working for you?
5: Oh, yeah, really good, yes. He's yes, behave- I know my, know my place. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
5: it doesn't have to be big dog, little dog either, Dave. Well, these two had a disagreement, the miniature Foxy and the Jack Russell, and one got a, a sore head out of it. Little dog, little dog, yes. yes. Um,. So about it's the about the quarter is that going to have an Addisonian type effect on him because he's already high he's already had one lot of um, psych tablets yes they're, all right those are the Kami... Kami... car colmi that's them
2: that's yes them. so you know,
5: you know how expensive they are he had one course of that yes and the vet said we might need another dose we he hasn't had it continuously he had to have half tablets because of his size
2: yes. And i helps. worried him.
5: all these tablets, sorry. Go on, I'll shut up now.
2: No, no, you're right. That's good background for us. So allergies obviously can be due to a number of different things, and uh, around the eyes and so on we often see might be um, pollens and things in the air mm-hmm. or things that we're washing them with. Sometimes it could be food-related, but that tends to be lower. Yeah,
5: food. Well, he doesn't have the greatest diet because he's put more weight on than the Hindenburg. <laughs> no he's, you want uh, to see the size of him for a miniature foxy he's a bit overgrown he's
2: a maxi foxy <laughs> Yes. um now you asked about the injection sometimes cortisone can be useful as a very short-acting treatment okay right. like it'll stop the intense itching and so on but right. also things like medicated shampoos things like uh, antihistamines right and you can also get allergy vaccines and these oh, okay. these are all going to be better for him in the long run, right? Uh, yeah, they cost a little bit more, but they'd be I know better for about him.
5: That. We're, we're better off than I shouldn't. we we're, we're we're in a position where we can manage, and we do see a vet. We don't just take we take your advice. Plus, it's just I remember this now, and I'll forget when I go to the vets.
2: No, no, that's right.
5: At the end of the day.
2: So the question about can you get Addison's... Now, Addison's, for those who don't know, is actually a condition where you have a low cortisone in the body. And if you give an injection of cortisone to a dog, first of all is you can get signs of too much cortisone in the body, which we call an iatrogenic Cushing syndrome, where they drink more, eat more, and they actually uh, paradoxically can lose hair. But then as that comes out of their body the injection that we've given them, as it wears off, their uh, adrenal system doesn't pick up the slack, okay? And so they get this status of uh, low cortisol in the body. Look, it usually won't happen with one injection. We won't see it with one injection. Where we have a dog that's on... Say so prednisolone tablets for you know months and months. If we suddenly stop the tablets, then certainly you can get uh, the onset of Addison's where there's not enough cortisol, and those guys they collapse, they get uh, diarrhoea, they get low blood pressure, they get cold, and it can be critical. They can die from it. But from a single injection, you won't see that effect.
0: So. It's 12 to 1. You're with Pet Chat this afternoon. Our vet David Tabret is here. Also, we've got Denny Boz and we've got Jenny joining us right now. Jenny's from Shortland. How are you today, Jenny?
4: Um, I'm okay. I was just driving home and I thought, oh, you said to ring, so I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Drive carefully, I'll tell yeah. you that, okay? You do that too, right? <laughs> what can we help you with, Jenny?
4: Well, I, I live with my mum, right? Yeah. And I've brought too many foxies with me. And I've been with her for a couple of years now. Yeah. She also has has a Maltese cross. Yeah. But when I arrive home, because I've got a diesel car and they hear me, they start howling. And Mm. the whole neighbourhood hears them. And I really think if there's a shift worker around, Mm. you know, they'd probably hate the dogs and that. Mm. it's a you know, when we come home half past nine at night, off they go. And uh, I'm just wondering how I can stop that.
2: <laughs> so what happens after you walk through the door? What do you do?
4: Yeah, they stop when we walk through the door and their tails are wagging. And Oh, it's good to see you, good to see you, you know. <laughs> but uh, they quieten down. I, okay. I often go in naughty dogs and I don't uh, interact with them. I try to stay away from them to... So yeah. try and let them know they've done the wrong thing. Yeah. But um, also, if I take them out in the car, now, I know you're not supposed to leave them in the car, but if, I, if it's a rainy day or something and they're in the car and I've got to duck into somewhere, off they go again. But I never go back to the car because
2: that's them. Oh, they've won. Reinforcing, yeah. I think yeah. you're on the right track, and I would probably... There's a couple of things. I mean, why do they do it? Look, they're just so excited to see you. And yeah. uh, so I guess um, what could we do to help that? Do you think one's spurring the other on too? Sometimes that happens, factor? yeah, but it might be so close together that they're just responding straight away. Yeah, I
4: think they're outdoing out each other for the last la- how, you know?
2: <laughs> yes. I would, I would be thinking along the lines of um, uh, trying to... When, when you said you ignore them, I wouldn't. I wouldn't talk to them at all when you come through the door. Yeah. Um, mm. But I gather that that's probably well after the the trigger factor for them, and that's yeah. that may be less effective or take longer to actually, um, you know, have the have the effect of reducing their behaviour. Yeah. Um, the other thing that. Uh, can be done is to ask them, like to do an obedience uh, activity with them as soon as you walk through the door. So you could do it right. either way. Um, it might be worth actually we chat to Dr. Bob about this too and I'll send him an email. I think, right. he's, I think he's in next week so um, it would be am. worthwhile
1: following up with him. I had okay. I, I did a different solution for my dogs because I had the same issue oh, right. with my dogs so I, when I'd come with home your with my whymes they yeah. bark quite a bit and they can be loud. Yeah. Um but because I have access to products I put on a citronella no bark collar. Right. And that stops it.
2: And that stops it. Well, That's there you right. go. So there's there behavioral
1: ways oh. like you say that we can deal with it but there's also product ways.
2: And I would even look at say um getting them to do... Like if they do use a citronella collar, uh, you can't just rely on that because they'll basically... They'll get tolerance to it over time. Yeah. Mm. Okay? So you would need to be doing something else like asking them to do something for you. Sit and here's a treat I can give them at the time. And then you're giving them praise for actually doing that. And so their idea is we only get praise after we do something for you. So we're going to sit here quietly... Until and, yeah. and then you can lavish the praise on them.
1: I think that's yeah. a good, that's a good point in regards to what Dr. David is mentioning is uh, the, that the collars, these kind of products, are used for behavioral modification and training. Yep. Combined and if they've and- got the collar and they're quiet, you give them a treat at that point in time when you've come home. Hopefully they will then come to a stage where you can take the collar off yep. And follow the same program and they're getting, give them a treat. they're but getting if the they, treat for being quiet. That's right. If they take, if you, if the collar's not on and they bark, though, then you don't give them the treat. Yes, yeah. That's so set a very that good pattern, advice. Set that pattern See, we don't place. need Dr. Bob. I think, we've worked,
2: I think we've worked this out for you, Jenny. So. He'll, he'll be glad to know that. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be in next week. So, look... I would look into, a, yeah, I think I'd agree, I'd look into a citronella collar, but realise that if that produces a quiet dog, give them a treat and then give them some praise, they're getting the treat for being quiet, yeah. and then gradually you can take the collar off, because if you just simply say, oh, I've got the collar and I'll walk in the door, after a while, they're just going to um, continue, you know, they're going to develop tolerance to the collar, so... I would try the uh, combined approach. I think that would work well. And we've got Ken
0: joining us now from Kersley. Hello, Ken. How you G'day, um, Ken.
5: Yeah, I've got a question. It's, no, it's about my daughter's cat. Yep. He's uh, about 12 years old. Yep. But he's just all of a sudden just stopped using the cat kitty litter.
2: Okay, okay.
5: Yeah, yeah, I was just wondering if you had any ideas.
2: How many cats have you got in the household? Just the one. Just the one. How many litter trays do we have? two good good work just make sure they're not next to each other um sometimes i've spoken with people before it's one one litter tray per cat plus one so if you've got one cat you need two if you've got two you need three uh make sure they're in different places and sometimes worthwhile to use different litter in them because some cats prefer one to the other cats and litter trays are always a bit of a um a challenge now where's he going otherwise just on the floor is it next next to it or somewhere else
5: Ah, uh, probably
2: within four or five feet of it. Okay. Sometimes with older cats, they start to get a little bit dementia type, uh, and All they, right. you know, just think, yes, I'm close enough. Or, for instance, arthritis. It might be hard to get in and out of the tray, um, particularly some of the ones with higher sides on them and things like that. Um, yeah. The other thing is that sometimes we see is they've actually got things like kidney disease or bladder disease, and so they know they've got to go, but they just don't quite make it. Uh, Ah, right. So it could be behavioural, it could be you've got to change the litter trays, it could be related to bladder disease. uh, Yeah,
5: we just bought two new litter trays and changed, uh, gone to like a dry
2: sort type of litter. Okay, so Uh, tried two different litters, that's also Mm -hmm. worthwhile. And I would also then, if you've done that for another week or so and you're not seeing a change in response once you've changed the environment, then I would say it's time to get get him checked out just to make sure he hasn't got any other medical problems. Because we do see things like urinary tract infections or kidney disease, diabetes, things like that that are going to cause him to probably either be in a rush or have difficulty using that litter tray.
0: All Ken, thank you for your call. We do Pet Chat every Wednesday. If you know a friend who's got a pet and they've got a problem, they need to call us next week, uh, 49216216. We'll look forward to those calls. What we always like to do this time of the day is find out if there's any special events on and around our area.
1: Anything, Denny? Look, nothing that I've been notified about. However, to put one in your diary, for people that live in the Cessnock area, Saturday 16th of June, there is the Cessnock City Council Free Microchip Day. Oh, that's so that, good, yeah. that's a good one Important because one. you can get your dog microchipped, um, mm. your cat most probably as well at the same time. Well done to Cessna Council too. Uh, yeah.
0: A lot of people put a bit of flack to not Council, but this is something they're very proactive on and they do a great job just, with it. Uh, and just a word there too, that the
2: microchipping procedure and the microchip going in free for obviously people in that local government area. Your registration, you still have to pay for, but best to get it done on the day. I can't tell you the number of animals that we see as strays that don't have up-to-date microchip details. So it still happens.
0: Oh, gosh, yes. yes, All the time. Thank you to the two of you. Thanks, Dave. We'll do it again next week. Mm. It's Pet Chat Wednesday afternoon from midday to one here at 2NURFM.